brother. As I've mentioned many a time, but it gives me great joy to mention it one more time, uh, the children are welcome to stay in here for the rest of the service, uh, and they're also welcome to go with my beautiful wife, Christy, to Children's Church, which is just around the corner in room 400. Thank you, Christy, and y'all have fun. The rest of us are in the book of Matthew. If you'd like to turn there, I invite you to, if you'd like to. Uh, We are going to be in chapter 26. Now, those of us us who've been around for the study of Matthew, the book of Matthew, walking through this incredible uh, letter to the church from Matthew, uh, it's been an amazing journey. But we are approaching the end. I know. I know. It it feels amazing. We've been studying this for like a year and a half now. (laughs) Um, So here we come. This is near the very end. And I wanted to make it coincide with us finishing the book on Easter Sunday. So that's what we're going to do. So I walked us backwards from Easter Sunday, which is April 1st. And we're, we're going to walk backwards uh, to chapter 26. That's where we are today, chapter 26. Which means for that all to happen well and for us to, to cover the parts I want us to cover before we finish, it means we're going to have to skip a little bit. I know. Oh, it irks me too. It irks me. But chapter 24 and 25, we're going to kind of make a little end around those. But we, the, basically, chapter 24 and 25 are parables of Jesus, which we've covered a lot of parables. So I thought that would be appropriate. And also, chapter 24 is apocalyptic literature. And we're going to do a study of Revelation later to get into all that apocalyptic stuff. So don't worry, that's coming. We'll get into that end time stuff that everybody loves to, to wonder about and get curious about and hear what God has to say about it. But for now, we're going to dive into these last couple days of Jesus' life. As we approach Easter, Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the last couple of days of Jesus' life. And one of the things that happened these last couple days is in chapter 26. And we're going to start with verse... We're going to start with verse 17. Verse 17. And I know you'll see that it talks about here uh, Judas and his betrayal, but we're going we're gonna to also... We're going to also move through that rather quickly, Judas's betrayal. But let's read from 17 down to 30 and, and look at what we have here in Matthew chapter 26. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, that is, Jesus said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Did you guys like the Super Bowl this year? Did you enjoy it? I thought it was rather enjoyable myself. It was at least a close game, right? I mean, which is helpful if you have to sit through it and watch all those commercials. Maybe some of you like the commercials better than the actual football game, but uh, it was an exciting game. And one of, the most thing, one of the things I was most encouraged by is at the end of the game, they interviewed several of the players from the Philadelphia Eagles, and it turns out that they're Christians. It was really cool, including the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. He talked about his faith. He talked about what he really wants to do with his life, and it's not to be a quarterback. It's to work with teenagers, teaching them about Jesus Christ. He said that on, on national television. It was really, really cool. Uh, but that's not the point. Uh, the point of the story is this. I wondered, as I was watching the game and the commercials, paying attention to the commercials during the Super Bowl, I wondered how many people who were watching the... It's, it's one of the most widely watched television shows in all of sort of the American TV year. And I thought to myself, how many people watching this have no idea how the game of football works? Were any of you in that position? A little confused. Yeah, I, mean, I know you wouldn't want to raise your hand, of course, because that would be admitting you don't know exactly how football works. But I was guessing it was probably in the millions of people who they may understand a little bit of like, oh, the quarterback throws the ball. Yeah, okay, I get that. Or that other person with the other number runs with the ball a little bit. But most, many, 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 not most, but many, many people have no idea what a first down is. Or what it, you know, what offsides is, or what it means that the fact that it's called football, but rarely do you ever use your foot. It's a very confusing sport. And I remember when Christy and I were first married, and, and she did not grow up watching football. I did, because my dad played football in college. But I remember those first few weeks, first few Sundays, Saturdays, whenever we were watching some football, and I had to just be an explainer. For the game. I had to sit next to her because the whole thing, if you really think about it, it's incredibly confusing. It's just complicated. It is. The rules are myriad. And now that there's these slow motion cams and they can see what happens, now it pauses about every 17 seconds so they can review the play. It's gotten ridiculous. But it's very esoteric. It's not something you can just approach and immediately understand. You've got to have somebody sitting there next to you going, okay, well, this is why they're doing that. And, oh, yeah, now they're throwing it, but he can't go over there. And the quarterback can't run there. And then, oh, but he can't go across that line. And they can't do this. And the, those two people on the inside, can't, blah, 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 blah. that guy can't catch a pass. I mean, it's just blah, blow your mind. And it seems crazy unless you have somebody explaining it. You know, that's not altogether untrue about the death of Jesus. It can seem a little intimidating for people who first approach the church. Maybe you have some friends who've been pondering coming to church. It can be a little intimidating that the focus of the Christian worship, of the Christian church, is blood. Right? That needs a little bit of explaining. 
if you're new to it. Now, many of you might not be new to the death of Jesus or these ideas about the blood and the body of Christ. But if you were, it's kind of like that your first football game. What in the world is happening here? All of this talk about a man dying. And, and think about the death of Jesus for just a second also. If you use some of the other religious, great religious leaders of all time, Muhammad died in the wife of his, died in the arms of his wife when he was about in his mid-60s. Buddha died in his mid-70s, surrounded by some of his disciples. Everything seemed peaceful and wonderful. His life, his life came to a nice little conclusion. Moses lived many years and then was buried with his fathers, right? These great religious leaders. Jesus, on the other hand, also what I would call a great religious leader, died at about 33. And it was a, it was a shameful, horrible, painful death that he died. And yet, over the centuries, people have said, I want to go with that guy. That guy who died a shameful death, I'm in. What's happening there? I think it needs a little explaining. <laughs> right? Because wouldn't it make more sense to be like, yeah, Buddha, it seemed to work out a little better for him. Right? He made it to his 70s, and he died a peaceful death with his disciples all around him. That seems like maybe a better way to go, like a better path. Like Jesus died alone on this horrible torture device. All of his friends had abandoned him. He, the people he came to save had rejected him and presented him to the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities had then killed him on this torture device. Yeah, hold up. Time out. I don't understand this. Well, Jesus takes his disciples into the upper room at this evening, this Passover evening, and he explains it to them. He explains what's going on, and it made all the difference in the world after he explained to them what was happening with his death and all his blood talk and body talk. So let's do that this morning. Let's dive into what Jesus teaches us about his death. Uh, Because it's where we are in Matthew 26, and we're going to celebrate it today. But I want to basically break this down into three parts, this uh, passage, this sermon today. I want to first look at the importance of the death of Jesus. We'll dive into the importance of the death of Jesus. Then, Then we're going to look at sort of the meaning of the death of Jesus. What does it mean that he died? And then lastly, we'll conclude with, okay, how do, how do we participate? Right? There's, there's this meal set out before us, the bread and the wine. How do we participate in the death of Jesus? So those are the three things we're going to dive into this morning. The first thing, though, we need to understand as we dive into this is, the, is what, how Jesus set up his explanation how Jesus set up this night with the disciples, where he's going to show them this is totally different than any religion you've ever heard of. This is totally different thing than anything you might have even imagined for your life or for my life. But I'm going to explain it to you. Here's how it's going to go down. And he's, I'm going to do it in the context of this thing called the Passover. Has anyone ever heard of the Passover before? It's a Jewish celebration, right? So the Jewish people celebrate this meal. They still do to this day. They celebrate what's called the Passover meal. And it involved wine, it involved bread, and it also involved some meat, but we're going to get to that in just a minute. 
But it's really important what Jesus says about this meal. This meal is kind of like a first football game. It's like your first football game, and you've got somebody sitting next to you who's going to help you understand this weird, crazy sport of football. And it is crazy. So this is happening with the Passover meal. And they, if you've ever been to one, uh, if you've ever experienced a Passover meal, there's someone called a presider. The presider is the person that not only eats the meal with you, but also explains the meal, each element in the meal, right? Part of the, the Passover meal is this thing called unleavened bread. And the reason the bread didn't have any leaven, does anybody know what leaven is? It's kind of like yeast. Basically, it's the stuff that makes the bread rise. And you have to take time for the bread to rise. And the reason that they had unleavened bread, the Jewish people, at this meal, is because when they were escaping Pharaoh, when they were escaping Egypt, they had to rush, they had to run, and they couldn't take the time to let the bread rise. And so they ate what essentially was a cracker. They had this cracker meal. Then there was different types of wine that went along with the meal. And then, as the main course, there was a lamb that also went along with the meal. And Jesus, so the presider of this meal would say, and now let us celebrate. Here's, I, gotta, I wrote it down here. Let me, let me look it up real quick. Um, the presider would say, this is a meal where the bread of affliction of our fathers, they ate in the wilderness, we will now eat. Jesus says, he changes it in a very fundamental way. He says, this bread is the bread of my affliction. It's not the affliction of the fathers. It's the bread of my affliction. Jesus is dialing up the Passover meal to 11. He is cranking it up. He's cranking up the heat. And do you know that the, the, the Lord's Supper, this thing that we're about to celebrate, it's the only thing in the entire New Testament and all the life of Jesus that he said, I want you to repeat this. It's the only thing. He doesn't ask us, Jesus does not ask us to repeat and to dramatize his miracles. He does not ask us to repeat and to dramatize his birth. He does, even though we still do it at Christmas. Uh, he does not ask us to repeat and dramatize uh, his teachings. But Jesus asks his disciples and all people after them, I want you to dramatize and I want you to repeat this meal. This is, this is the center of Christianity. This is the point of it all. Right here. This meal. And this meal represents something. How many of you would be satisfied um, with a meal that had only um, bread and wine? Would you perhaps want a little bit more than bread and wine? What would you be hoping for? If, you're, if you went to someone's house for dinner this next week, and they were like, okay, here's the bread, and they brought a little basket out, and it's warm and it's delicious, and then they had a drink, maybe all this at your plate, what would you be looking for? Right? You'd be looking for more. I guarantee that. What would you be looking for? The main dish. The main dish and cheese. Cheese on the main dish. <laughs> right? You know, I mean, cheese on top of your spaghetti or lasagna or whatever it is. Right? Conspicuously absent in Jesus teaching the disciples is what? The lamb. Because in the Passover meal, they would eat lamb. I know most of us don't have the experience of eating lamb. It's not something that's normal to our diet. But at the Passover meal, this is a big deal, that they would eat lamb because, why? Does anybody? Well, I'll explain why. The reason they ate lamb was because when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, when they were, being finally, uh, when they were finally escaping 
the hands of Pharaoh, the last miracle that was performed that finally broke the heart of Pharaoh and allowed the people, the Israelites, to get away from Egypt, to escape from Egypt. God was rescuing his people. That last night, there was the angel of death that flew over the entire area of Egypt, including the homes of the Israelites. And it killed the firstborn son in every household. The angel of death killed the firstborn son, except for the Israelites. Why? Why did the the angel of death not kill the firstborn son in the Israelites' camp? Because they were good people? Because they, no, think about this for a minute. Because they were better people than the the Egyptians? Because they were nicer? Because they had been suffered under this horrible slavery at the hands of the Egyptians and they just deserved a little bit better for their life? They were poorer than the Egyptians? Is that why? Absolutely not. Not in the Passover meal. Each family had to sacrifice, had to kill a lamb. I mean, this is brutal stuff, y'all. Think about it for a minute. Have you ever killed a lamb? You know, I mean, it's awful. And then you take the blood. Think about this. It's, it's wild stuff. You need somebody to explain this. You take the blood from that lamb and you scatter it on the doorpost of your house. So there's blood covering the doorpost. And... And because of that, the angel of death passes over the house and the firstborn son of the house does not die. And the firstborn son can see the killed lamb. The firstborn son knows something. That lamb took my place. That's what Jesus is getting across in the fact that he does not have any lamb at the meal, the Passover meal he's eating with the disciples. He's, he's saying, I'm the lamb. I am the sacrificial lamb who must die. I must. This is the only way. Let's talk for just a minute about this is the only way, uh, about Jesus dying. It's a helpful way for us to finally grasp what his death really meant. Let's say we're going to Bodo's right after this. Right after church, we're going to go to Bodo's. Uh, I'm actually now getting kind of hungry. I'm sorry about that. I'm thinking about this warm bagels. And we're walking over there, and as you might know, to get to Bodo's from here, you have to cross train tracks, maybe over there at Concord Street. And let's say you're going with me over to Bodo's, and you forgot to tie your shoelaces. And your shoelace gets caught in the tracks, and there's a train coming, and you can't get your foot loose because your shoelace is caught in the tracks. Now, let's say there's two options for us. To go to Bodo's. Let's say either I can help you pull your foot out of the shoe and then grab you by your arm and we can hold hands. We don't have to hold hands, but maybe. Uh, and we can then walk to Bodo's and get our delicious bagel, probably cinnamon raisin with honey pecan uh, spread on. No big deal, right? Or let's say there's another option. There's option two. That's option one. I can just help you get your foot out of the shoe and we can go to Bodo's. Option two is, I can use all my body weight, and I can hit you as hard as I possibly can, but it's going to make me stumble, and the train's going to run me over, right? But I'm going to save your life, because you're stuck, your shoelace is stuck on there, right? So let's say, just playing our little game, let's say that's what I decide to do. I'm like, forget helping you untie your shoe. 
I'm going to be noble, right? I'm going to forget. I know I could just untie it and we could get your foot out and we could go to Bodo's. But I'm going to ram you and become a hero and then the train comes and I die by the train. (laughs) That's kind of crazy, Andrew. I know, right? What would you be thinking after I had just died by that train? What would your thoughts be? Just um, feel, feel free to, to share. <laughs> You'd be like, that's a weird dude. And that makes no sense. That makes no sense. Yeah, I think, at least my thoughts would be, that guy's nuts. That guy is nuts. <laughs> what? He had the option to help me pull my foot out and instead, he takes the option B and shoves me out of the way, the way of the tracks and gets hit by the train. That is just silly and absurd. Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it be silly and absurd? And, and that's the point Jesus is getting across with this. Y'all, our religion, Christianity, if Jesus died and there was another option, it is silly and absurd. Paul said it. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle said, if Jesus didn't, if this wasn't the only way, the only way for humanity to be saved, ours is the most pitiable religion of them all. Run. Run from it. Go. Find something else. Because what Jesus was saying, what God was saying at the Passover, by the sacrificing of the lamb, by Jesus calling himself the sacrificial lamb, Jesus is saying, there is no other way. Our religion is not about me helping you pull your foot out of your shoe. Christianity is not about Jesus being a good teacher and helping you figure out how to live your life a little better. If, if it, if, seriously, y'all, if the option was, you just can be a little bit better person than you are now, just improve yourself a little bit, and then you can get to heaven. If Jesus then died, it's absurd. It's absurd. Jesus, it's, it's called a substitutionary atonement. You ever heard that word? That's a big churchy word. It's a substitution. Jesus took your place so that you don't have to die. And there was no other way. Because, see, that's what makes a death noble, right? It would be a completely different story if your leg was jammed under that railroad track and you couldn't possibly get out, and I couldn't help you out, and then I dove and knocked you out of the way, and the train hit me. That's noble. That's love, right? Because it's the only way. It was the only way to save you. This is hard. If you, if you think about the depth of the death of Jesus in this way, it's hard to swallow sometimes. Because it means things like the, the coexist sticker don't make sense. They don't make sense, right? Because it's not, Christianity can't just get lumped in with all the other religions. Like, well, take your pick. Jesus' death, and this is why it's the central point of all of Christianity. Jesus' death says, it is all or nothing. It's all or nothing. It's either the the only way to God, or run. Because it's the most absurd religion in the entire world. That's the claim Jesus is making. And that, he is centering all of who God is and who we are on this death. It is so important for us to understand it. It's so important for us to realize that this is how God saves. 
This is how God saves. This is salvation in the Christian religion. It is through the death of Jesus alone. He substitutes himself for us so that we don't have to die, so that we can be saved, so that we can be rescued, right? God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt through the death of the Lamb. This is, this is dialed up to 11. This is a rescue from sin, from death, from hopelessness by the death of Jesus, by the, the, the Son of God. It's dialed up as high as it'll go. And it's the most exciting news we could ever hear. It's the most exciting news we could ever hear. Well, let's conclude then with our final point. We, Jesus not only explains his death to the disciples, saying, this is the only way, disciples. This is the only way to God, through my death and through my resurrection. But he goes on to say to them, he says, eat it and drink it. Again, sounds weird. The, the, this incredible religious leader saying, eat the representation of my body, eat the representation of my blood. But what, what Jesus is getting across is participate. Take it. Appropriate it. Make it your own. This is a process that is going to last your whole life. This is why I want you to repeat this meal over and over again. Because this is going to be something that you get to do your whole life. You get to appropriate. You get to take in my death. What does that mean? Well, there are benefits to his death and there are challenges that come along with the death of Jesus. The benefits... Let's, let's walk through a couple of them. First of all, love. Number one, Jesus even said, this is the greatest love, that someone would lay down their life for another person. And this is the most heroic, loving act in the history of the universe. Jesus dying for us. Now, there's other things. Um, the, the cross also shows us that we serve a God who suffers with us. You will never, if you place your trust in Jesus, there is not one thing you will suffer on this earth that God is not understanding of and is not with you through. All of it. Every moment of the nasty suffering you're going to go through in your life, Jesus is with you every second of the way. That is an incredibly comforting fact. He is not an aloof God who just hangs out up in his throne in heaven and doesn't want anything to do with the people down below. He is with us in an incredibly powerful way. Next, he also, <clears throat> God has brought peace between us and God himself. Or sorry, Jesus has brought peace between us and God himself. When Jesus died on the cross, it said that the veil that divided God from the people was torn in half. And that means we have direct access to God. That's what the death of Jesus bought us. Direct access to what's called the throne of grace. What is grace? Grace is God's favor given to us. Grace is God's smile upon us. Grace is God's um, showing us that we have infinite value. I don't know how you walked in this morning to this room. You might be thinking, I think these thoughts often. What have I really done? I'm I'm a screw up. I'm just messing up this life. I'm, I'm struggling. I can't figure it out. I can't get my junk together. I got all these problems. I got all this junk from my past. 
the death of Jesus, the death of God's own Son, is saying you have infinite value. Not just some value, not just, oh, you're okay. I bet I can clean you up. Have enough work. If you, maybe this week, if you work a little harder, if you sin a little less, if you just do the right things that you didn't do last week, yeah, we can probably make do. This, that is not what the death of Jesus is saying. It's saying you have infinite value. The infinite God died to save you. Your value is infinite. Your value, the depth of your value doesn't stop. Drink that in. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying this meal we're about to take together. He's saying, take it in. Take that in. Wake up in the morning taking that in so that you can go about this incredibly difficult world of full of suffering in my love, in my worth. Okay, so those are some of the benefits. Awesome, awesome benefits that we get from the death of Jesus. But let's look for just a moment also at the challenges. Philippians chapter 2 talks about the challenges the cross Jesus brings to us through his death on the cross. Philippians 2 says, Humble yourselves in the same way that Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man and by his death on the cross. The cross draws us. As we partake of it, it draws us into a humility like Christ. Go down. Go down. You don't want to go down. You want your friends to be up from you. You want to hang out with people who look better than you. You want to be with people who have more money than you so that you can get all the benefits that those people will give you. Right? I'm the same way. That's what I want. I want to be around people that are cool. I want to be around people that have got something to offer me. And Jesus is saying, nope. You go down. You go down and you hang out with the people who are going to give you nothing. In fact, they're probably going to make your reputation hurt. That's the people I'm calling you to. That's why Jesus constantly, over and over, talks about loving and helping the poor. It's not just about the poor, it's about us. Our hearts are poor, we need to go there. We need to go down. That's a tough call, y'all. It's a tough call to the cross. I feel it too, let me tell you. Also, This is what's interesting. The humility comes alongside of the tearing of the veil, which means hostility has been killed on the cross. Hostility between person and person killed on the cross with Jesus. You don't get to hate other people because of the cross. If you believe it, if you're appropriating and taking in the death of Jesus as your own, you don't get to hate. It's that simple. The cross is self donation to the other, to the other gender, to the other person, to the other race. That's what the cross is. It's self-donation. We don't get to hate when we take the cross for our own, when we participate, when we appropriate this meal. It's a big deal, y'all. And then lastly, lastly, there's humility There is a breaking down of the hostility between people, the hostility between us and God, but also the cross teaches us never, ever give up. Y'all don't give up. I don't care what you think of that person. I don't care how impossible you think it is. Don't give up on people. The cross is the ultimate example. The death of Jesus is the ultimate example of it looks, when I, when I look at it, when I look at that cross, when I look at how that Jesus life ended, this looks like the end. There's no way out of this. This is 
This is total failure. But of course, as we know, as we're going to celebrate at Easter, there is a reversal of the curse through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus. Never give up hope. You're going to want to write people off, y'all. You're going to want to write people off that you don't like. You're going to want to write people off that you think they're too far gone. God couldn't reach them. Jesus probably has, wants nothing to do with them. The cross says, never give up. And the same goes for us, for our own life. You may think, I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to quite be good enough, am I? I'm never going to achieve what I wanted to achieve. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. This is the ultimate symbol of hope for the world right here. This meal that we celebrate together. Okay, cool. I got two minutes. Um, This meal that we celebrate together, we do it weekly here. We do communion weekly here for a reason because of what I just talked about. But it's also something that changes us. This meal changes us and it affects our hearts deeply. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings, two towers, they're up against it. That is the hobbitses. They're up against it. They're going to die. They're defending the fortress. It is all hope lost. Then, top of the hill, who comes at the top of the hill, riding on the white horse? Gandalf. Yeah, Gandalf. And at that moment, a horn is blown. And the entire the battle changes, right? Everything, they're going to be saved. They're going to be okay. And Pippin, one of my favorite hobbitses, I know they're not called that, but I just like using that term. He said that every time after that moment that he heard a horn, he started crying. Because the horn reminded him that they were rescued, that they were saved, and life now is rescued. This meal is like a horn. (laughs) It's meant to be blown weekly, and it's meant to make us cry, and it's meant to make us go, yes, we win the battle. This is it. We have hope. Gandalf is at the top of the hill with the horses. Even though it looks like this world is going to end in a broken and decaying state, God will get the victory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this meal we're about to partake of. That it, It's more than just a symbol. It's more than just a little thing that reminds us of, yeah, yeah, Jesus, 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 blah, blah, blah. Lord, this is the center point. This is the centerpiece of what you have done in this world. And I pray that you would use this meal to reform us, to remake us, to change us, to renew us. Lord, I know there's people here right now that are, have, feel like they've lost hope. Lord, I pray that you would restore hope through this meal. There are some in here, Lord, that are depressed. I pray that you would restore joy. Lord, there are some in here that think they are not worthy of you. I pray that, that you would remind them of their infinite value through Jesus. Lord, we need you come to us in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So, as I've already read this morning from Matthew chapter 26, uh, when Jesus was with his disciples, sorry, I've got to pull it out a little bit here. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. And, and as I'm trying to get these wrapped around a little bit of a paper towel, I'd remind us that Jesus also, um, sorry, I'm sorry, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said um, that this, this meal is not to be taken in an unworthy manner. And what he meant by that was, he meant, he meant if you have not appropriated by faith Jesus, if you've not appropriated him into your heart by faith, then it would, be, it would not be good to take the meal. It would be good to pray. It would be good to ask Jesus to be appropriate into your life. But let the elements, he, Paul is teaching us, let the elements pass by. But if you have appropriated Jesus into your heart, if you have called him your own for your salvation, this meal is for you and it is meant to nourish and my prayer is that you would be nourished this morning. We'll hold the elements until everyone's been served, and then we'll partake together. body of Christ broken for you. Eat now in remembrance. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup, as we just read from Matthew chapter 26, and he said to his disciples, this is the blood of my covenant. That is, the covenant I'm making with you. And this covenant, unlike any other covenant that's ever been made, it stipulates that I'm going to be the one who's faithful to you even when you're unfaithful to me. That's God's promise through his, through his meal. I'm going to be faithful to you even when you are unfaithful to me. Drink now in remembrance. And um, as I've mentioned before, the outer ring of our communion tray is grape juice. The inner rings are wine. Thank you, Doug. 